Pleasant Good Evening Mets fans, and welcome back to the Pleasant Good Evening Podcast. My name is Sam Lovowitz, joined alongside Jack Hendon as always, and welcome. If you're a new listener, welcome to the podcast. We gained like 125 some odd followers this week. We posted this breakdown that Jack did, the third such breakdown we've done, and it was met with an overwhelmingly positive response over a thousand likes on Twitter, which was fun for us. So we thank you. If you engage with that tweet, if you haven't watched it, it's pinned on our profile, go watch it. It was cool. It was fun. Jack put a lot of effort into it and it made me piss in my pants. It was so funny. Honestly, uh, Jack just passed independence day. Happy fourth to you. Hope it was a good one for you. Yeah. You and yours. Hopefully you, uh, enjoyed the, enjoyed the fireworks, I guess, but yeah, yeah that was, we got some fireworks in the afternoon, which was fun. I mean, not the, you know, the, the I'm, I'm talking about the Mets Yankees fireworks. I'm talking about the fireworks that, uh, uh, killed a role Chapman, which was yes. So fun. Yes. We'll talk about that, but I'm, I'm doing well. I had a good fourth. What about you? It was fun. There were just so many fireworks. Oh man. I don't, there was just so many fireworks and I don't really get fireworks personally. I, mm-hmm. They're like fun for like two minutes and then it's like, all right, now it's just kind of, weird and loud and everything looks the same but yeah. you know they were going i heard fireworks until like 2 a.m man mm-hmm. but the afternoon was way more fun when yeah. the Mets beat up on the yankees a little bit let's talk about that the mets this week they went three and four overall uh they lost the monday makeup game to the nationals thanks again to kyle schwarber mm-hmm. uh and jared eikoff who we are no longer burdened with his existence in a mets uniform they Took one out of three in Atlanta. Not a great series. Not real fun. And then they did, though, take two out of three in the Bronx, which was very fun. And let's start with that Yankees series, Subway series. We met up with a Yankees team that was absolutely reeling. We were rained out on Friday, came out on Saturday. Taiwan Walker was excellent. Five no-hit innings, gave up two hits in the sixth, including an Aaron Judge home run. But he left with an 8-1 lead. Mets took that game 8-3. to and they really just singled the Yankees to death in that game, but it was fun as heck, nonetheless. Brandon Nimmo, three for six in his return. Uh, him, Lindor, and Dom went off in this series. Really, really good to see. Yeah, yeah. I think the number there, if my math is right, the three of them combined to go like 14 for 36 and they didn't really have a great uh Sunday night game any of them like I think it was one hit between them so if you were to take that out it would be like just ridiculous figures I mean Dom looks a lot better dating back to that last game in Atlanta where he's sort of just like somewhere in the middle of his at bat with uh 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 well Will Smith but I'm forgetting who Ian Anderson he figured it out and just started to hit extra base hits like consistently. I mean, he looked really, really good. And having Nimmo at the top of the lineup is doing just about everything that I think we all expected. Like it's a, I love Jeff McNeil. I think Jeff McNeil is going to figure it out, but it was night and day between him leading off and Nimmo leading off. Like they're just two completely different experiences up there. Like Brandon just works pitchers and then drops things into, you know, center field. I mean, that was another fun thing. Like, a role as Chapman getting beat was fun for a number of personal reasons. Just from a Met fan, Yankee fan thing, watching so many fly balls fall in front of Brett Gardner was also really fun. Um, like, I don't know, man. Yankee fans love Brett Gardner. They kind of treat him the way like we treated David Wright his last few years. We're like, 
You can't say anything bad about him. You can't touch him. He has to be here every year, even if he isn't really like doing anything because Wright was literally injured and wasn't doing anything. And like, yeah, I don't know. It was just really cool to see. It would have been awesome if we had knocked them under 500 uh, in the nightcap and finished a sweep because I'm pretty sure heads would have rolled there, but uh, you'll take what you can. They just kind of ran into a buzzsaw. Like Chad Green is just like, he's ridiculous. Like he's maybe the one good, consistently good thing that's been in their pitching staff this season. Cause Garrett Cole certainly hasn't been. That was also really fun to see a lot of just, a lot of just little brother becoming big brother for, for a few days, which, uh, you know, that's, that's fun for us. Cause we never have expectations. Yeah. The amount of like takes on the Twitter timeline from Yankee fans who were just like depressed as hell and we're like, well, that's it. The Mets are better than the Yankees. It's clear. I don't know how we can, you know, say it any other way. They're obviously better than us. How the tides have turned, you know, those I, had me so incredibly. How do I say this? Amused. Yes. I was going to allude to a certain uh, tequila advertisement that we occasionally see behind the home behind home plate at City Field. Oh, I think people will know. I think we'll, I think people, uh, there will be a, a, a few people who listen to the podcast who will know what we're talking about. Starts with an H, ends in an O, but. Yeah, <laughs> man, that was, those tweets, man, those were so fun to see. It was a fun series. I mean, even the, the last game, I mean, the weirdness of Nestor Cortez Jr., whatever, but. That was uh, fun, man. Yeah, that win on Saturday afternoon, game one of the doubleheader. Pete, Sunday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Pete, Pete with the, the nuke off Chapman to lead it off. First of all, there's nothing better in this sport than when our oldest Chapman gets knocked around. There is nothing better in the sport than when he has a meltdown, whether yeah. it's a lead off solo home run, or he walks the ballpark and gives up a grand slam to Jared Walsh or what have you, or gives up consecutive home runs in Minnesota to a bad twins team to lose a game. There's nothing better. There is nothing I enjoy more in this sport than watching Aroldis Chapman, the man who pointed a gun and shot a gun in the direction of his, his wife or girlfriend, domestic abusive asshole, Aroldis Chapman. There's nothing I enjoy more than watching him melt down. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Yeah. I like that they make a point of filming his reactions, like not even filming his reactions, like on a separate camera that they show after the fact, like literally the first frame you will see after he gives up these bombs is just the look of despair on his face or like pain or agony, whatever it is, it's, it's a great shot between. And Alonzo is like the numbers against Chapman from the Mets side of things have been like, especially uh, great. delicious. Like they're just great. Like Pete hitting the home run marked. Um, I don't actually know when in the sequence it was, but by the time Chapman had left the game and his ledger had cleared because after the Alonzo homer, they loaded the bases knocked him out and then scored uh, five more runs, but his total numbers and his last five appearances against the Mets, this is a shout out to Jacob Resnick. Now of SNY, formerly our buddy at Mesmerized, who, um, who put these together, two innings. So five appearances and only two innings. That's a good start. Uh, five hits, uh, three homers, six walks, nine earned runs. Um, if you go back last year when there was nobody in the stands and the Mets really sucked, they still had basically one night against the Yankees where like they just teed off 
Um, I think it was J.D. Davis. This was the night after Tom Seaver passed away. And then Pete hit the walk off the next inning off of, uh, I think it was Adovino, not Chapman. Uh, but And then when the Mets went to Yankee Stadium, uh, Ahmed Rosario hit a, walk, hit a walk-off homer against him. A walk-off in Yankee Stadium, which it's, it's weird how I forget about that. 2020 was so weird. This is the part of the podcast where we mentioned how awful that year was again. But, like, yeah, he gave up the homer, and then he hit Conforto, and he walked McNeil, and, like, they booed him off the mound. I don't know if you saw the clip uh, that was circulating from the Yes Network Side, like broadcast after the Mets had basically put on the other five runs and the game was like the Yankee fans had completely left. Like this was just Met fans and Michael Kay. And I think it was David Cohn with him, but I don't know who it was because they were silent. They were silent for literally 20 seconds in between like two pitches to Dom Smith. And then you just hear Michael Kay be like, it's horrifying. There's no words. We can't describe what's happening. And it's just like, I don't know, man. It's my favorite kind of horror movie. I really enjoyed it. It just so great. I did not see that clip, but as someone who does detest Michael K's play-by-play, that is something I have to seek out. The Peraza two-run double, by the way, that was fan interference. That was fun. Yeah. I literally just before we recorded this podcast on my for you page on my TikTok, mm-hmm. I saw a TikTok of a girl like who filmed that she was going to a game with her friend with like some TikTok audio. Yeah. And then it turns out, and it turns out that the friend is the guy that caught the ball. And the joke is that he got them kicked out of the game. And I was like, oh my <laughs> God, that's, it was hysterical. It was just so random uh, that like, but it went viral. Like that's that whole inning yeah. instant Mets classic. Like that's going to be played on S and Y for years, that game. I think so. Not like the David Wright level of uh, repeat, but that's a pretty nice way to win a game. And that game put them back at 500. And like, I think that Yankees, like, yeah. if, if I were a Yankee fan, I would feel a little bit better after the nightcap just because of like how they held that together. Like I really thought after Alonzo hit the home run and made it a three to two game. And then they put two guys on base against um, Darren O'Day that like they were going to, put up another five spot and win again, but they didn't because uh, Chad Green like struck out six of the nine dudes he he faced. Including I mean, an immaculate inning to finish the game, which is yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought I had the, those vibes too, but uh, I mean, even that game for the Yankees perspective, it wasn't all that much of a convincing win. Like you had to get three innings out of your relief ace in yeah. order to win that game. And the big hit, the big hit was – like a cheap little three-run home run from Gio Urshela on a ball that was not even close to the strike zone. He had no business swinging at. Like, yeah. yeah and I of get- course, like A. Rod, like creamed himself over it. It was just like you know old school baseball. Like he wouldn't shut up about the Rugnetto door bunt that came before that. He was like, the home run happened because of that bunt. You like you you subjected yourself to the actual broadcast. Briefly, I then left to go uh, see fireworks, and I listened to the radio for the Chad Green inning. Okay, because uh, the cause three innings, like, so I missed the good baseball, but I did I watched, have a few seconds. I watched the um, the Nerdcast version, the ESPN two Nerdcast. Oh, yeah, the- I couldn't get that because I was like, 
I was I was like streaming from my computer, so it was. Uh, I don't know if you guys can hear my dogs, but they're they're here. Uh, hi, dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, the nerdcast. First of all, I'll just say it. The nerdcast, yeah. excellent. Jason Benetti, uh, former Syracuse guy, <laughs> uh, as good as it gets in Major League Baseball. Easily a top five play by play man in the sport right now. He's fantastic, and he's not even four years old yet. He's just absurdly good. He's the White Sox guy. He does these ESPN two nerdcasts with Mike Petriello, who's like the Statcast guy on Twitter, if you probably follow him, and uh, Eduardo Perez, who's like a pretty good analyst, actually. So it's yeah. a, it's just a much better booth than Vaskersion and A-Rod. Oh, my God, it is. Yeah, because that's just like – I mean, that's just – I don't even really have the words for it. The nice thing about this game was because – I mean, the nice thing was the focus was almost entirely on what is going on in the Bronx, like what the Yankees are doing, because it's just – you can't turn away from it. I mean, it's been a whole car crash season and we're not going to talk with the Yankees for 45, 50 minutes, like, like just to get that out in the air, but to, to hear Alex Rodriguez, not talk about how much he hates Francisco Lindor on an ESPN broadcast, even once was, was such a reward. I mean, I'm glad I switched off. Um, you were talking about fireworks and I'm going to briefly mention this. If you are ever, uh, like trying to find a way to experience fireworks on 4th of July. It's not to go somewhere to see fireworks. Just get in your car if you have a car and just like drive somewhere because going over bridges while seeing all the fireworks at every angle is just like the coolest thing. My girlfriend and I did that and it was like, like that's probably what we would do like next 4th of July if, if we could. Like it was, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, so just just an obligatory like, fireworks thing and also girlfriend brag but uh yeah we're like that was fun I mean if I were the Yankees what I would do uh and I'm not the Yankees right but like I would probably start taking calls for Garrett Cole I would call the Mets because we'll give them I mean we want to turn turn this back around I think that the best thing the Yankees can do is give us Garrett Cole and we'll send them uh, I mean, what would a package really look like? It would be like, we'd probably give them like Almora because he's a young center fielder, right? I mean, that's like Brandon Drury, basically. It's the same thing. We'll turn that over. So we'll, we'll give them Almora. Uh, we'll give them Mark Vientos because he's having a great season in, in double uh, A and he's, he's got a, he's got a high ceiling and we'll send them. Um, who's the, who's like, who's an equivalent to like Estevan Florial in our system that we could give them like I don't Quinn Brody. Think. We'll give them Quinn Brody too. Oh, Quinn Brody's just so much worse than Floreal. We don't really have an estimate. No, but it's Florial. funnier but this like, way. It's, it's funnier this way. That's I, a, I, that's, that's a lot. That's a lot to give up. Honestly, I think if we're yeah. going to do that trade, they should probably throw in like Clint Frazier maybe and do or take the, take the Cano contract. Maybe. I mean, he probably wants yeah. to go back to the Bronx. It'll be fun for them. Like, I, I don't, I think it's a win-win. I think they should definitely consider it. I will gladly spend this entire summer, like returning all of those God awful trade deals and proposals we had to listen to. Um, like from actual, like, you know, sports radio people too, like people with like jobs talking about sports would talk about stuff like this. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. That's, that's really the last thing I have about the Yankees. It was nice to just, watch them squirm a little bit um yeah moral moral of the story yeah when the yankees implode especially against the mets god that's just it's so fun yeah oh it's just so fun yeah 
it's yeah. good for baseball. Oh, it's so yeah. fun. And this weekend was, I know we didn't get the sweep and like, un- I, it's something we've talked about this year is that if you're gonna like win a series, you know, try to avoid losing the last game. If you can, Yeah, two out of three is always better when you win the last game. Yeah. Like, but without a doubt. But when you win the games, the way the Mets did, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, uh, firing squad by with singles in game mm-hmm. one in Taiwan Walker, who should be an all-star, by the way, but we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, looking good again. And then uh, Sunday, the, the combat, like beating up on Garrett Cole a little bit and then beating up on a role Chapman a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, it was, it was tasty. So that's yeah. what happened this week. Uh, we will talk a little bit about the Brave series, just kind of tangentially because yeah. it's like old news now and that series kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Seven games left before the all-star break. Three at home against a very good, very hot Milwaukee Brewers team who have won nine of their last 10 and had won 11 in a row prior to losing on Sunday. Uh, and then four at home against the cellar-dwelling Pittsburgh Pirates. And then they'll come back out after the all-star break and play three more at Pittsburgh. So technically seven in a row against the Pirates coming up after this Brewers series. Got to take advantage of that. Uh, But of course, before we go to Pittsburgh, all-star break, uh, let's let's talk future here. How is this next week going to go for the Mets? Yeah, Um, I would be very impressed if they take two or three from the Brewers. Not so much just because of like my expectations of the Mets, but I did not realize like, how finished that division now is like the Brewers are eight and a half ahead of the Cubs. Like the last time we talked NL central, I'm pretty sure we were talking about how the Cubs had basically taken a stranglehold over their division because of how badly the Cardinals had been doing like this thing. It's just a a game of like, uh, it's just everyone like climbing up greasy steps right now, but the Brewers seem to really be at the top. Like it seems to be a done deal. The Reds are now the second place team. They're seven back and they're three over 500. So like, they're really good. Like the Brewers have figured something out. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. has been on a tear the last week. They have Christian Yelich back. Like it's, it's looking like, it's looking pretty, it's going to be kind of a battle for the Mets, especially with the pitching. Cause like, that's something that we can definitely go back to Atlanta about because like, we don't have David Peterson anymore. And it's not something that like, it's not at first I was thinking when he came out of the game, like with the side tightness, I was like, this is fine. Like just give him the all-star break, make that his way of like recovering. Cause that break is going to do us a lot of good in terms of our pitching staff. But like, he's going to be out till like the end of August. It's an oblique strain. And those things usually take like eight weeks. The Mets are confident. It's not going to take that long, but they have also been confident time and time again, that things aren't setbacks. Like, if they can avoid to play this, afford to play this conservatively, they definitely should. So, because he's hurt and Sean Reed Foley is hurt and he has elbow inflammation, which is the exact same thing that cost us our dear Paisan, uh, Joey Lucchese, before he needed Tommy John surgery. And, like, obviously, they're different profiles. Uh, you know, they're, they've, they're two very different pitchers. Um, but elbow inflammation is like something that the Mets should probably like shelf him as long as he needs to be shelved for to deal with. Like, and then there's Miguel Castro, who's been like 
pretty bad the last month and probably isn't also like also maybe pitching hurt. He had the neck thing. And ever since then, like he's just really kind of stumbled a little. I probably trust him the least in that bullpen right now to be like completely frank. I mean, obviously like Yancy Diaz is the bottom of the tier because he's the 26th guy on the roster, but like I trust Drew, Drew Smith more than him right now. Like I trust, I certainly trust Trevor May more, even though there was that point. I mean, there was a point in this season where Castro was pretty much our best reliever after Diaz. And now like, you know, he definitely needs the break. The pitchers need a break in general and the hitters hopefully will have something to do if not against Milwaukee against Pittsburgh, because those guys are just like really bad. Like you should probably take all seven games from them or at least the first four before the break. Yeah. A few points in rebuttal. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you're not completely Frank. You're completely Jack. Yeah. Uh, that's, second. that's, I I've been owned <laughs> second. Yeah. Um, when the Mets say they're confident in injury is going to take less time to heal than most injuries of that same case take that's Mets talk for it's actually probably going to take longer. Yeah. So don't expect David Peterson back before September. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to say? Miguel Castro. It, yeah. Could he be hurt? Yes. He had that next strain thing. Like you mentioned, could he, uh, be fatigued also probably they kind of ran him into the ground a little bit also could he just be a goop guy yes probably that too it's some sort mix of the three most likely he probably is uh not using the sticky stuff anymore and as a result has kind of lost the feel for his slider um hung it a little bit last night yeah. Uh, has not real had it for a while, has not been throwing the changeup as much. Wonder why that is. Wonder if he needs something sticky on his fingers to be able to throw it confidently. He just generally doesn't have command of anything right now. Yeah. And he leaves a lot of hangers over the middle of the plate. If you watched him last night on Sunday Night Baseball, oh my God, he left some hangers. Yeah. Oh, left <laughs> some real bad ones. And the wild pitch, he can't throw the, like, he doesn't throw the fastball as much as he used to either because. He doesn't know where it's going. I mean, there's yeah. a you, you mentioned goop. I think there's still just a basic likelihood that like he just needed the basic combination that every pitcher should be entitled to. Oh yeah, probably screen and rosin. Like his, it could his... literally just be having a basic feel for the ball because he was peppering that thing on corners at the beginning of the year. Like he looked really good from that arm slot, and he could throw any of those pitches. He could locate them. It's basically just been an issue of location. It's not yeah. like the stuff's flat. It's just he 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 doesn't really know what to throw because he doesn't know where it's going to go. And like that just kind of I don't know. I mean, it's a good thing we have the break coming up cuz he definitely needs it. I've yeah. The, um they said something on the Nerdcast last night when he came in the game that I, I'm paraphrasing like I might not have this completely 100% correct. Uh he has like the highest percentage of called strikes in the lowest quadrant of the strike zone among like all major league relievers or something like that. Yeah. Like he just, for the first half of the season, when he's been good, he has just lived on the bottom edges of the zone and has been successful there with the fastball and the changeup and has worked the slider away, but he has no feel for anything right now. And, you know, they say, they always say that uh, a fatigued pitcher, the first sign of fatigue is loss of command. Yeah. And he's had no command for a while now. Uh, and so maybe it is fatigue. 
His spin rate is also down a couple hundred RPMs, um, which is not an excessive amount. Like it's probably not indicative of necessarily spider tack usage. Like right. we see the spider tack guys are down like 600 RPM. He's only down like yeah. one to 300 RPM. Yeah. Uh, so it, it probably isn't spider tack necessarily, but yeah, maybe he's a sunscreen and rosin guy. Maybe he's one of like just a basic combination guy, someone who is using something that, mm-hmm. you know, isn't necessarily there for, uh, like improvement of stuff, but is yeah. there for, you know, maybe safety of hitters and his own command. Like yeah. that was another thing. Aroldis Chapman's probably a, a sticky stuff guy too, because this dramatic downturn in his season has pretty much coincided with MLB's announcement of the crackdown. Yeah. Uh, so he's also a guy who throws 102. Like he doesn't want to have to act. He doesn't ever want to accidentally throw it at somebody's dude, some dude's head. Yeah. Like, these guys who have hard, who are hard throwers but lack command, yeah. they like usually need something yeah. for command mm-hmm. because it's it, it's dangerous in the box against them. They just have no idea where it's going and they throw a hundred, yeah. and it's it's dangerous. And Miguel Castro probably needs something because yeah. right now he looks awful. I hope that he comes back after the break like revitalized and looking good. And you know, April May Castro. April, early May, Miguel Castro again. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, I, think so. I mean, but. the other thing they could do is just like, and I think this is kind of a good time to do it because it's like, I mean, the Brewers will be kind of tricky. Um, so maybe not now, but they really could just, if they wanted to, put him on the injured list. And like, it's it's harder now because Reed Foley is also hurt and might be like hurt, hurt. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to, uh, take too many options out of your hands, but it would only be for like seven games, four of which are against a Pirates team that I don't think we really need like more than three high leverage relievers for anyway, especially with the way Familia has been pitching because he's looked really, really good. Um, but you could just put him on the injured list. You could literally just say the neck thing's a problem again. You could mention soreness, fatigue. Guys do this all the time. It's the phantom injured list, but it works. Just literally give him a few days plus the break to just get his mind right, get his arm right, get everything back where it needs to be. And like, it's not foolproof. It's not like he'll come back and he'll be April May Castro again, but you don't have anything to lose. Like, it's only going to get harder for him if you continue to work him at this point in the season. Like, this is probably the best time to do that. The further in the season we go, the more like, the fewer chances you're going to get to just take a guy who can be good and just shelve him because he's not throwing all that well. And I would just call up like Robert Stock or keep Tropiano around or something like literally it's only seven. It, it's only seven games um, again, four against the Pirates. So really it's only like three games or maybe four or like, like just do that and then let him come back and hopefully he's rested. They're not going to do that though. I mean, I think they should. I and agree the that other- they should. I agree yeah. that they should. It's like you have two Grom starts in this span. Yeah. Uh you get Stroman again in this span. Like you, you get, uh, all right, was it's four out of the seven starts are between the Mets top three pitchers in this span. You, Cause we're only getting Taiwan and Stroman once more through it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the real, the, the workload on the reliever is not necessarily as high as, as you would imagine this last week. Hopefully I hope it's all uh, about those last spots in the rotation. Like it, you need Tyler McGill to, go a little bit deeper than he has in the past, but 
this is going to be his first time pitching against a team that isn't the Braves. So like, that's possible. And he's looked kind of good. I mean, you know, he has a good changeup. It's not, is, is it something where like, I think he should stick around and he's proven himself probably not, but like, yeah, he can, he can probably ball a little bit. Like Oswald has looked fine. It's, you know, yeah. you nobody else anyway, like Eikhoff's gone, like you said. Um, you don't even have relief guys really because Tarpley went under the knife. Batances has like, he had surgery, so his season's over. The only pitcher who's hurt that's really on his way back at all is Carlos Carrasco. And that's very far down the line in July. That's like end of July, early August. And like you said, that timetable is probably very flexible because it almost always has been with Carrasco and his situation. And like Noah and Yamamoto are like throwing off flat ground, but that's it. Like Tommy Hunter's probably gone. They haven't said anything, but it went from he'll be back soon to 60 day IL and no comment. Like Gaselman, there hasn't been any update. I think that's everyone who's on the, all the pitchers who are on the injured list. Like you really definitely like you're in a position where you're going to need innings in those spots, but you don't have the reinforcements really. And Zapucky didn't look great either. Like he made his debut. It was kind of a bad spot to be put in. Like he's not going to look like that every time he comes out, but also like he's not going to look like McGill when he pitches. Like it, it was definitely, you can see why they were a little bit hesitant to promote him so early when everyone was banging the table for him. Yeah. I, I haven't, I'll be honest. I haven't gotten a chance to watch McGill specifically yeah yet in either of his start are either of his starts but the results on paper look good have looked good and then he looks mm-hmm. like he breaks down in the middle innings a little bit yeah yeah um and then i missed i mean thank this was a good game to miss yeah i missed the, I missed the 20 run game i missed that game I, I was out but uh yeah zapucky's line was bad uh and i heard he looked bad too so eh, mm. Yeah, all-star break coming at a good time for the Mets. Let's just get through this week, try to take two or three from the Brewers. At least get one game. Like, you got to win the DeGrom game. Like, he's pitching against uh, Brett Anderson. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's the soft tossing lefty, so. Who always, yeah, the Mets always. You're not going to get that many runs, but. Yeah, the Mets can't ever hit left-handed pitching, but that's that's beside the point. Um, Just go go crush the Pirates. Go into the all-star break on a good note. Crush the Pirates win four at home there like yeah win five of the next seven man like yeah just just do it please Mm -hmm. I agree and I think that I mean yeah it's it's also like you get closer to the trade deadline at that point and the leverage like you probably can't trade for anyone right now unless you're really like desperate and want to give up a haul which if I know Sandy Alderson I know he probably won't do because he never pulls the trigger early in fact sometimes he doesn't pull the trigger at all but like this is definitely a situation now where like, listen, if I love Chris Bryant, uh, even though they're not really looking at Josh Donaldson and he's kind of like an inflammatory personality, like I wouldn't mind Josh Donaldson, but like they need pitching more than anything else. Like they need a starter, preferably someone who does innings. There are luckily there are a lot of options on the table, um, like a lot of targets. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm, I've like been going down the articles also looking through depth charts just on my own and like there's no reason for this team to continue to like pigeonhole themselves to having three starters and then mcgill and then oswald or whatever opener thing they're going to put behind oswald like because mcgill also like mcgill's a little bit closer to like 
I wouldn't say it's Corey Oswald necessarily because like Oswald is he's been around a little bit longer in the organization and like probably just gives up too many homers to ever really be like an effective starter but McGill reminds me a little bit of Lugo in the in terms of like how he holds up through games and again it's there's only two games you could get hurt like you don't know he wasn't he didn't really pitch much in AAA if at all like you know but the changeup looks very good he could conceivably be somebody who like you stick in your bullpen the way they did with Lugo and he can be a good like inning to inning guy like I'd, I'd really love to see that right now you can't do that but like I don't know if you trade for like Danny Duffy or you trade for Kyle Gibson or you trade for if the Cubs are gonna sell Kyle Hendricks like you could probably afford to do that and I'd like to see that because I think they have a lot of guys to look at that's a that's that's all-star Kyle Gibson to you by the way yeah uh the pitcher that I want the most is Marquez I want him on Marquez I think he's fantastic I think you get him at a course field he will be electric yeah and then the offensive player that I want the most and this should come as no surprise to anyone who knows me even a little bit right I want Joseph Gallo. Yeah. I would like Joey. I want Joey. He hits homers and he plays good defense and he plays good defense all around the diamond. He's a real good outfielder mm-hmm. and he, he hates playing third base. Like this is a personal thing about Joey Gallo. He detests yeah. third base, but he's capable there. He's also capable at first base. Yeah. Uh, so Joey Gallo, come on down, please Mets make it happen. I think the perfect trade for this team and it's a shame that Kyle Gibson's an all-star because now the Rangers could hold that over anyone's head. Yeah, it's like Lance Lynn all over again. Uh, I think the perfect trade for the Mets yeah. is Gallo with Gibson. You get a starter, a guy who's a four or a five. Like, I know he's an all-star this year, but let's be real. He's like a back-end guy. He's a ground ball pitcher, which works yeah. to our advantage because now we can field ground balls. Like, we know how to shift. And it's yes. generally worked very well for us, like, he would be good. And Gallo Gallo has been doing the Schwarber thing of taking advantage of lack of spin rates now with this without sticky stuff and just hitting the tar out of the baseball, so to speak. He's been hitting homers after homers after homers because he first couple months of the season, his power numbers were down, sort of similar yeah. to Pete Alonzo, uh, where you expect the guy with just massive raw power to be going off and running into some balls, and he just really wasn't. He had like eight homers before this little stretch or like 10 homers before this little stretch. And then he hit like eight in a week. Yeah. Uh, when the crackdown came and he's got like 20 now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to go ahead and say Joey Gallo was back and yeah. get him the, he- I know city field is also kind of a big ballpark, but get him the hell out of that stupid, weird new park in Texas that yeah. fly go to die in. Get him out of there yeah. and get get him in blue and orange because I think he would fit. He's also a really likable guy. I think he'd fit yeah, really nicely on this team. He would. I mean, you'd have to see what Texas wants. Like they could very likely want more than just one of your top five prospects. And luckily those guys have been like doing amazing, you know, like Beatty has just forced everyone's attention this season. So is Francisco Alvarez. Um, the Lindor for 10 years thing is huge because it makes Ronnie Mauricio a little bit more expendable for us even though he's like a very solidly talented player, they're not even trying to take him off shortstop. Like he's not going to be a Met. He's not going to come up as a Met. They're going to trade him somewhere. I like the Rangers idea. If you want to go a little bit cheaper because it is Sandy Alderson and he really doesn't believe in this, you know, this, this, this splash thing, 
what you could also do, it's 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 definitely lower volume than than Gallo and Gibson, but you could call the Diamondbacks um, and try and swing Eduardo Escobar over with like I like Caleb Smith. I like like some people mentioned Merrill Kelly. I don't think Merrill Kelly is very good. They're definitely not going to give you Zach Gallon. If they offer Zach Gallon, I think that would be huge if they could get him. Like I love Zach Gallon, but uh, Smith and Escobar could be a little cheaper. It helps a little bit at third base. It's it's not Gallo, right? He's he's sort of a power first guy. I mean, right now the other thing too is like they're doing I think something very similar to what they did in 2015 and also pre Bruce in 2016, where they're just like looking for utility guys first. Like they're they're they've talked to the Diamondbacks, but they're talking to them about his Drupal Cabrera, which I love as Drupal. Right? We have such fond memories of him. He's also a positionless hitter at this point. Like you can kind of play third base, but probably like, like you wouldn't put him in the field if VR is there. Um, he, I guess he can come off the bench. I, I personally, I don't really get it. Cause I think our bench has shown at this stage that like, we don't need more of it. Like, but he's the guy that they're looking at now. They're going in that direction. Like maybe see what the White Sox want for Jake Lamb. Like just, look around a little because Cabrera's numbers have really fallen off the last month. Like, I, I don't know. I'm a little on the fence and I definitely want more than like just Cabrera. Hopefully they, they really start like talking, talking. He's like kind of switch hitting one your eBay at this point. So, I mean, like it yeah. kind of fits the, the 2015 mold there. I don't know, man. He's I a just... little more like Kelly Johnson, I think uh, in terms of like the bat profile. Cause Uribe was someone who like really only like hit singles and homers, but like, yeah, it's. You could call the Pirates up. Pirates, I mean, Tyler Anderson doesn't suck that badly. Yeah. Uh, left-hander. Richard Rodriguez has been one of the best relievers in the National League. He'll be expensive. I don't think that, I mean, you could look reliever. I don't think relievers like the top thing that they should be going for. Not yet. If Castro's dead, then like you should probably get somebody. Rodriguez might be the most expensive of all of them. So that's where you have to be careful of. But like, yeah, yeah. If, if you're really. Because right now it's basically, I mean, Lugo's look great and he's looked healthy. And you have May, who's been on a tear. Loop has been everything we've wanted. Familia has, like I said earlier, like he's just, he really like benefited from that time off because he's saved our asses twice in this series with the Yankees. Like came in in moments where like we could have legitimately lost a handle on the game and he just shut them down. Uh, we obviously put out our like apology to him. I think everyone owes that guy an apology. If not for this year, just for like, I guess when he was really, really good, undeniably good and people were hard on him. But yeah, you definitely need to make trades. The Twins also, I mean, beyond Donaldson, they also have like Kenta Maeda and Michael Pineda and Jeremy Hefner has Twins experience too. Like there's definitely a match there. Like you could probably make something work. I just want, I just want something, man. Well, there's Pro also, preferably there's, a starter. There's also Barrios, but he's going to be expensive as hell. Yeah. He's the most controllable. I think of like anyone that's available. He's got a year and a half. He's yeah. A year and a half. So he's, it would be a Stroman trade, but yeah. he's like the twins are apparently the price tag on him is just like through the roof and I get it. Cause he's good, but yeah, man, they really are not in a position to be making demands like that. Yeah. yeah. Or they I won't, think- they won't be in a month. Right. Definitely not. Um, and Less then, yeah, so that's happening. 
then the black jerseys are coming back, I think. I mean, what Howie Rose mentioned is that, like, it seems like they're perfectly positioned the first Friday after the All-Star break to, like, do the blackout or whatever. And that could be really interesting and really fun. And I'd like that a lot. And we've talked about the black jerseys, like, to death, but I'm really excited for that to come back. Um, and then, yeah, DeGrom, like we said earlier, he's probably not going to pitch in the All-Star game. Uh He's going to get two more starts. He's on pace to still make like 31, 32 starts this year, which is pretty impressive considering like there's always been like, feels like every other start we're worried about how he feels going into the next one. But I mean, he was great on Thursday. I mean, that was just like, what was it? Three runs in the first inning and we were all convinced he was cooked, especially after like, the not so great start against the Phillies. And then, and I say not so great relative to what Jacob DeGrom has been. And then he just strikes out eight in a row in the middle of the game and then gets you 15 strikeouts and gives you seven innings. Like that was, I think the best thing about all of it, because like most of his starts this year, even the ones where he's looked like legit have been six innings or, or some of them have been seven. And obviously there was the complete game, which, I forget about because some aspects of the season feel like so long ago relative to others, but like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy. He's not going to throw in the all-star game, especially because he doesn't really want to either. You know, he's very particular about like his, his uh, routines. So he might not even go to Colorado. Yeah. I mean, if, if his spot disappears, it's only for one inning. I know that like, we don't want our guys getting hurt, but like Taiwan Walker deserves to be flying there. I think he has had a better season than Herman Marquez. Um, and I think that story makes more sense for that all-star team anyway, than Marquez did. Like, or like McMahon has hit some homers. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, but it's whatever. I mean, yeah, get Taiwan there. There's always four or five guys on each roster who drop out yeah. because of pitching schedules. So like, just get Taiwan there. He's been good, like really good. He's like still yeah. top six or seven in ERA in the NL, right? Yeah, and it's I mean it's it's now at the point where like his control is getting better too. Oh. His control of those first few innings against the Yankees was maybe excellent. the best it's been all year. He looks really excellent at Yankee yeah. Stadium. So, yeah, okay. Now let's talk briefly. We don't want to beat a dead horse about it, but right. let's talk about um our least favorite little scumbag yeah uh trevor bauer yeah who has been accused very seriously of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and he has been placed on administrative leave by major league baseball so he will uh that's a week-long thing Mm -hmm. Uh, he was supposed to start on sunday in washington he did not because He's on administrative leave. Right. Which is good that Major League Baseball appears to be taking this at least somewhat seriously because Mm -hmm. it is an ongoing police investigation. If you have not read the athletic article, uh, if you are comfortable doing so because it is gruesome, please do yourself a favor and do it. Uh, It'll be extremely eye-opening. It'll ruin your day. But you will never want to watch Trevor Bauer pitch ever again, whether you were a fan of his prior to this or not. Uh, And the basic underlying thing that I've taken away Mm -hmm. from this whole Bauer thing, I don't know about you, Jack, is 
when a person is trying to show you who they are, believe them. Yeah. All, all the stuff with women on Twitter with Bauer, all the stuff about attacking these, these women using his platform to sick his dogs uh, on these women, whether it's, you know, a certain uh, girl, you know, a female reporter that yeah. we're familiar with on Mets Twitter or, or uh, just a random 16 year old fan. Like it was a few years ago. These are patterns of behavior. These are indicative of a certain level of um, a certain line of thinking towards women. And I, you know, I wasn't going around saying, Oh, he's also probably physical with women, but right. I'm not exactly surprised. Like, Believe guys, believe people when they try to tell you who they are. Because if they're trying to tell you they're a piece of shit, they're probably a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. And that's what that's you're about, that's right? definitely something I've taken away. Um, I mean, it's just he's gonna be in a lot of trouble with a lot of legal trouble when this is all over. Um, as far as what kind of justice gets served, like I don't really know. Like Bill Cosby is out on the streets now. Like he's just free to go. Like so much about this is going to change uh the way we talk about like you know violence that men commit again you know towards women like there's going to be a lot of like like character rehabilitation that takes place like i don't doubt that we're going to get articles at the end of the season about you know how hard this was for trevor bauer and like i don't really i don't really give a shit how hard it was i certainly didn't even give a shit in like january you know, when Ken Rosenthal wrote the piece that he wrote. And it's one of those things where I'm not celebrating the fact that like, we were right that he was a bad dude. Like, cause it's not one of those things. Like nobody wants it to be true that someone treats women the way uh, he had in the past. And now has even more, I think like harrowingly treated women. Like it's, it's all very damning. I think so I've taken that away, definitely, that you should believe someone when they show them, when they show you who they are. But I'm also like really, I think, not surprised, but I think disappointed in the way Major League Baseball handled this. Um, like, sure, administrative leave is the right thing to place them on, but they also waited far too long to do that. Like, I don't know what information they were waiting on that wasn't already in an article that every person with a subscription to the athletic red, like it was, it was pretty grotesque. It was pretty foul. There was no defending it in any way, shape or form. Uh, and the other thing too, that I realized in the way that they handled this, cause they waited a long time. They sat on it and Dave Roberts, basically maybe at the, at the orders of his front office, maybe at the orders of the league, I don't know what, but he really hid behind stuff that, and, and, and tried to cover his ass and his responsibility and all this, like the Dodgers organization should be ashamed um, of like the way that they tried to, I think, hide behind the league's policy when really there was nothing stopping them from scratching him from the start even if you can't render him inactive like the fact that they were legitimately at a point of confirming that he was going to pitch on sunday before major league baseball had to issue a ban hammer is like it's absurd it's appalling uh there's no defending it i agree with you i just like from my understanding their their hands were almost tied with the union that it became a union issue if they 
didn't theoretically have a baseball reason to not let him pitch. See, yeah, that's the thing, though, where, like, at first I was like, it's got to be a union thing. But this has happened to other players before who are not as good as Trevor Bauer and are not as making as much money as Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Where as soon as a guy got accused of something, he was released. As soon as he got jailed for something, he was released. Like, Hector Oliveira straight up lost all of his money. The, 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 the Padres voided his contract completely the second he was booked in prison. Um, Julio Arias was scratched before he was suspended from his starts. Like, there is definitely, like, a leverage game here. There's definitely, like, a marketing thing happening, and it's just gross. And it's the same as, like, like I understand the fantasy baseball community had an obligation to tell people what to do with Trevor Bauer, but, like, who gives a shit about marketing? Who gives a shit about, like, points? Who gives a shit about value? Who gives a shit about, like, the basically the deficit? Like, this was the same as, like, people asking how, like, climate shocks are going to affect the deficit like this is so much bigger than that it's stupid to even pretend that it's worth talking about like you know whether he should start or not like i'm i'm i can't i can't imagine that the union was that protective of somebody in that spot because they haven't been before like there was definitely a the fact like if if he was a pitcher i think i said this to someone else or someone said it to me more likely the latter but if he were a relief pitcher uh, with minor league options and like an ERA north of four, they would have released him. He wouldn't have gotten any sort of due process. There wouldn't have been any backlash, nothing. Like the union wouldn't have done a damn thing. If the union is really defending this, they should also be ashamed. Like, yeah, maybe you're right. But in, I mean, that doesn't protect them necessarily or, or spare them from this. Like just a lot of, I think. And the last thing I'll say is just that as a, like, as a culture within baseball, like we have an obvious responsibility to like stop the behavior we saw earlier, like dead in its tracks. Harassment should never be tolerated. Harassment against women, obviously, especially shouldn't be tolerated within like sports culture. Um, and that's stuff that we have a responsibility to, but also like when the league doesn't do anything about it, when the executives, like the people literally with the remote control or like let him play, like how much more can we do as people when like the, the people in charge and the people with the keys don't care? Yeah. The, the one last thing I'll say on it yeah. and then, and then we'll, we'll go remember some guys. And I agree with you completely. I think that regardless of whether it was a union issue, it was still mishandled at least for a couple of days. The Dodgers, like, are we surprised that the Dodgers are kind of mishandled? Like the Andrew Friedman Dodgers, Mm-hmm. have had a history unfortunately because generally they put a likable product on the field yeah generally they they've had issues with sweeping crap like this under the rug yeah. alex verdugo julio Urias, the the primary examples where they got a good player good player gets accused of something or does something bad good player takes whatever punishment from major league baseball or in Verdugo's case, no punishment at all. Yeah. And then just keeps playing. And it's like, let's, we're going to just ignore that. That didn't happen. No, no, yeah. no. We're going to let Julio Orias continue to take starts every fifth day and also uh, throw the last pitch in the world series. Like, 
not surprised that the Dodgers initial reaction, regardless of the reason, whether it was a union thing or not, was uh, we're looking into it, but yeah, he's going to continue to uh, take starts for us because he's got a 2.3 ER, or ERA and we want to win games. Yeah. Yeah. It's all it's just like system, it's systems of power. Like if the angels can get away with what they're doing, why can't the Dodgers? Like there's just a lot of, no one's taking responsibility. No one's owning anything. And like the league has a specific obligation between the commissioner's office and the players union to both do like, you know, to not stand in the way of a basic measure of justice, like putting him on administrative leave. The second this becomes a thing, it's very yeah, and- I certainly, I certainly hope that we look back in a month from now and we say, oh, that was silly because after this, you know, he's got a hearing coming up that yeah. hopefully he never throws another major league pitch. Hopefully he rots in jail for the next 15 years because he did something illegal. Yeah. He did something very, very illegal. Yeah. Something you can't consent to. And we won't, we won't divulge what that was. If you want to read the article, you can read the article. But like, and yep. he's admitted that he did it. He's admitted that he did it. So I don't know what the, what the problem is. And his actions after the fact certainly indicate that he understood he had some level of guilt. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't reach out to, you know, a woman over and over again for days at a time, trying to make sure she's okay, trying to make sure that she's, mm-hmm. you know, has groceries and stuff like that. If you don't on some level think that you kind of screwed up. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think he understood he screwed up and was trying to fix it mm-hmm. and it didn't work. Uh, so we'll see what the fallout is. Um, mm-hmm. But Hopefully the fallout is that we never have to really think about Trevor Bauer ever again, because I'm so tired of it. I'm so tired of him. I'm so tired of all this. And it's, it's disappointing that we have to continue to have conversations like this. Yeah. It sucks. So we'll, we'll remember some guys to close. And if this is your first episode of PG, cause I know we're going to have some new listeners today. Like, yeah, yeah. Sorry to finish on like a down note. We usually don't. Usually we remember guys of a random met, at the end of every episode and it's very fun and loose and great. Yeah. So let's just, let's quickly throw our names out. If we have anything to say about them, we'll say them and then we'll go home for the week yep. and come back on a lighter note uh, next week, hopefully into the all-star break with uh, seven straight wins. That'd be cool. Sounds good. You want to, you want to go first? Sure. I didn't have a, a guy on theme today. So I went, uh, I Googled 2000, uh, three Mets roster and I picked the funniest name um, that I could find. So uh, <laughs> we're going to remember a guy who had 24 at bats for the Mets had three hits hit one home run. He was an outfielder. His name is Prentice Redman. That's a good one. And I've, I had never heard of him and this, yeah, he only played for the Mets in those, in those 15 games, 27 played appearances in 2003, never played again. Prentice Redmond between uh, late August and late September for the Mets. Prentice Redmond. That's a good one. He like uh, he went on to become like a coach in the Dodgers organization. I'm pretty sure, but that could be the case. Yeah, I'm like looking at his BRF. He's also the brother of uh, Tyke Redmond. Yes, which is also a good name. Yeah, Tyke Redmond was in like the Mets organization briefly, like before. I don't know the full details of it because he never played a big league game, but he was like, I just remember. Yes, he, he did. Of, Not for the Mets, but Tyke Redmond. Right, yeah, yeah. He never played for the Mets in the majors, but he was someone that they like, I think, signed or claimed off waivers or actually had on their roster, like a phantom Met, if you will. Um, Prentice Redmond's a good one. 
because I'm actually on that note, I had a guy, but I actually would rather do this because there was a similar, similarly like immortal name from a similarly like immortal era of Met Baseball. I think it also works because we're going to the black jerseys anyway. But I'm remembering another outfielder with a great name. Uh, he was like a speed first guy. He played for them in 2002. Also never played. Oh, no, he played in 2004 also. But he basically was like a pinch runner for one year or one game. Um, Essex Sneed. Mm. Essex Sneed. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he has one career home run and it was a walk off home run. Uh, he was a he was drafted the year before Prentice Redmond, but he was drafted by the Cardinals. And the Mets basically got him off waivers um, and like kept him on their roster a little bit. But he was a speed first guy who didn't really he was like 25 or something like didn't have much of a future beyond running the bases. But he was he was pretty good at it. And uh, he's got a great name. So I'm remembering Essex Sneed. Yeah, we got to bring back guys with names. Yeah. Where are all the guys with names? Where do the guys with names go? Princess know, Redmond and Essex Sneed. They just sound like made up, like they sound like fantasy characters. Yeah, almost do. It's pretty, it's pretty legit. I'm, I like them, but I definitely want some more, uh, some more good names. That'll be fun. We should like, we should trade for uh, Lars Newtbar. I think uh, a good trade deadline guy. I know nothing about Lars Newtbar other than the name, other than the fact that his name is Lars Newtbar, and I can't get over it. It's God, I've never been jealous of Cardinals fans, really. But yeah, Lars Newtbar, that's the one time. Uh, yeah, that's a good place to put a pin in it. Yeah, Lars. I think so. Let's uh, let's wrap things up here mm-hmm. on episode forty-three of the Pleasant Good Evening podcast. We keep pushing fifty here yep. on PGE. If this was your first episode, we hope you enjoy. We hope you come back next week. We hope you share it with a friend. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mets last week before the All Star break. Three against the Brewers, four against the Pirates, and mm-hmm. then hopefully we are sending Taiwan Walker off to Denver when all things are said and done. I've been Sam Lebowitz. He's been Jack Hendon. Mets fans, have a pleasant good evening. Mm-hmm.